Welcome to the All About Alts podcast, where we explore the world of alternative investing to help you find financial independence. Join our host, Newview Trust's president, Jason DeBono, as he covers a variety of topics with different guest speakers to discuss tax and alternative investing strategies. It is never too late to start taking control of your financial future, and we are so excited for you to be joining us for this opportunity to hear from some of the best in the business. Hello, everybody. My name is Jason DeBono, and I am the host of the All About Alts podcast, and I am joined today with some old friends, Juan and Sharon Restrepo. Juan, Sharon, how are you guys doing? Fantastic. We're doing great, Jason. It's great to see you. Yeah, good to see you as well. I love reconnecting, but have to tell you, this is the first time on the podcast that we've had two people at the same time, so we'll have to see how this goes today. I'm sure it'll be fun. I hope so. And I've I've known Juan and Sharon. We we were catching up and as you do with, with some old friends and I was embarrassed about my own age and, and how long we've known each other when they mentioned that Josh, their son, is 15 now. And so I've known Juan and Sharon since uh, he was born and Josh was being pushed around in a stroller at the investment club that they ran back in West Palm Beach at the time. So been been quite some time, guys. Yes, it has. It has. Yeah, and they grow up fast. And so you've got another one right behind them at 13. So your hands are full. Yeah, they yeah. are. Yeah, they are. But it's all fun, just like you. Yeah, it's been a blast. I've enjoyed every phase of their lives. We've it's it's like having uh, built-in friends <laughs> at the, at this point. So it's kind of cool. Oh, that's great to see and great to hear. And parenting, I think, is is a lot like. Uh, investing in life. They all tend to go hand in hand. And some days you feel like everything's going really well and easy. And and other days you're looking for the manual saying, how do I do this or what do I do here? So I'll assume it's been the same for you with your kids. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Wonderful. Well, I also learned that you guys are, are now North Carolina residents. And so maybe by quick introduction, Juan and Sharon, you know, we met because they ran an investment club back in, in Palm Beach in I guess going back my 16, 17 years. And uh, that investment club was a great resource for education. And we partnered off on a, a tremendous amount of education. And But in addition to that, you guys are also full-time investors. You have a real estate brokerage in Palm Beach as well still. And then you guys moved up to North Carolina and, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Where are you guys in North Carolina? Right now in a little town called Faith, but nobody ever hears it. So we say Salisbury. It's a little bit bigger, you know, just uh, Northeast of Charlotte. So Nice, nice. It's night and day from Palm Beach. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. A little bit less traffic, if I had to guess. Yes, it's like we we still have our place back at, at in Florida, and and I go back and like, oh, what's all this traffic? I see more traffic here in five minutes than I do all day up in, the, <laughs> in Salisbury. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a nice change of pace, and the boys love it. So we're happy. Well, that's great. And I'm really happy to hear that uh, that you've transitioned, but you still not only have your brokerage here, but you've got an, an additional brokerage in North Carolina as well. Is that right? Well, I'm licensed as a broker here as well. So when we came, it was because of real estate investing and we were studying the market simply because our our property manager from Florida transitioned here. And she just kept encouraging us about the market and the opportunities here. And if we could duplicate our business here, we would really do well. And so we finally decided to take a you know recon trip. And I came up and she had gotten a real estate license, showed me all around and I couldn't agree more. So we just kept praying about it, thinking about it and decided, okay, let's start investing in this area. And we did that about a year before we actually came and ended up, we thought we'd go back and forth, but we actually ended up making this our home. And, you know, we still go back and forth, run both the businesses. And, but the other big change was leaving residential and going into commercial real estate. And so that's what we did also at the same time. So it was a lot of big changes happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot going on. So you've relocated and changed really, I won't say investment philosophy, because real estate is real estate, but certainly strategy inside that philosophy. Let's talk a little bit about that. So you've got a a change of pace in North Carolina and you guys are getting settled in. I think you were doing residential all the way up until that point, right? Mm -hmm. We did a few commercial properties, right? But, But our big thing is catering to investors. You know, we we've always love the investing side of it. We consider ourselves full-time investors as well as that unique brokerage that caters to investors. So our clients were and are 
you know, investors from all over the place who use us as their hands and feet to help them make the right investments or the investments that they're looking to make in real estate. And so let's talk about transitioning that into commercial, right? Same genre of asset, real estate, right? But certainly a much different specialty or niche. So what caused that transition? You know, was it a specific property or was it a whole strategy? Yeah, walk us through that a little bit. Well, we actually attempted to make that transition back in, I think, about 10 years ago. Didn't go so well as it never launched. And so, you know, we, we attempted it, hey, it didn't work. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> in, in a funny, we were putting together a um, online summit and I was looking for people to speak. And I found this one young guy, he was a former pastor turned a commercial investor. And it was about a year later, I was like, you know, about, about several months later, I'm thinking, hey, you know what? We need to we need to start looking at this because it's more wealth creation, wealth preservation. You get to that point where, all right, how can I what part of real estate can I do that? Because one of the things we taught on the residential side is, hey, you know, flip properties at the beginning, you know, you, you that way you learn or wholesale and then flip and then, hey, hold on to some rentals. But when we started realizing, looking at the numbers, it's like, man, you can be part of a bigger project and make more money. You still get the same benefits, whether you're part of a, a syndication or part of a, a joint venture on a big thing, as opposed to these a bunch of little single family homes. It's like, hey, let's just bam, the economies of scale, you know, is, is what is what it comes down to. It's like, OK, let's do that instead of trying to continue to buy up the little ones and see where that goes. So that kind of is, is it was like, OK, bam, you know, even though we've done this for so many years on the residential side, it's like I've always seen it on the commercial side. But it's like finally, you know, as you as you start to get older, <laughs> it's like, OK. How can I multiply my efforts faster? And again, this isn't just for for an older person. Anybody can do it. It's just a matter of getting into it. And then, you know, we finally said, all right, let's let's do this. And we went, I mean, we pretty much burned the ship on the residential side. It's like, you know. (laughs) And I think to that point, you know, when he's talking about 10 years ago, we attempted, we attempted to add commercial into what we were already doing. And it's just, you know, if you're already buried in something, there's no room left on your plate to add to it. So we really felt like, all right, if we're going to do this, let's burn the ships. And so we stopped taking on new business and just really focused on the commercial. And, you know, our clients were all on board with that because they've done so well with us. They're like, you know, we'll, we'll definitely follow you guys along. What are you into now? Let's check it out. Yeah. So it's been a fun journey. Yeah. It sounds like it. And, And transitioning from single family to commercial sounds easy. And I love what you said about going back 10 years ago is that it isn't that easy and not because it's so hard, but because when you have an investment strategy and philosophy that you're executing on, it's hard to add to that. And to be good at something, I won't say you always have to be all in, but being all in certainly makes it a little bit easier. And I think that's something that I've heard a lot in my career is that a lot of people want to transition from residential to commercial, but you know, for whatever reason, they can't get far enough out of residential to actually get into commercial. And most people that I've I've talked to and met along the way that really are full-blown and, and successful in commercial, they mostly started in residential. It's very common, but the theme across the board is that they made that leap and, and to make a big leap, you've got to be all in. So it sounds like you guys are all in and, and uh, into the commercial space. How long's that been and, and what's that journey been like? It's kind of interesting. Uh, we've... Uh... Year and a half, two years now. Yeah. Probably about yeah, about about a year and a half, I want to say. And the first part of that has been a lot of just education, networking, getting to meet people. Again, like I said, we're part of a mastermind, a commercial real estate mastermind, and just seeing people from at different phases of it. You got people that are very green, never no real estate experience, to people that hey, I've been doing this for twenty years. I've developed properties, blah blah blah. You know, so. And and kind of the camaraderie that's come about that from that group and everybody's willing to help one another, which is how we've met some of the partners that we've have now. It's like it's funny, we came to North Carolina, but I've been to I've been to Dallas, Fort Worth, and I've been to Lafayette, you know, and like, all right. So and so we've got our hands in a couple of deals out there. But again, just like residential side of it, there's so many different angles of commercial. The strategies. Yeah, the, the strategy is like, okay, man, we can do 
single, you know, multifamily, you can do built to rent, you can do strip malls, you can do storage industrial facility. storage facility, self-storage, all that stuff. And everything sounds great. And it's like, all right, what, again, you can get pulled in so many different directions. And it's like, ah, uh, you know, what can I look at? Triple net. Oh my gosh. Ah, you know, every time you hear something, it's like, oh, that sounds great. Again, just like the, on the residential side, when <laughs> we would have different speakers come in, our, our members, I, you know, we'd always tell them, it's like, listen, find something and get good at it. When, when you when you find a niche, get good at it and go after it with all your heart and you'll see success come. Because if you start going after every what's that uh, shiny object, um, you know, you end up doing nothing. So for us, it's been kind of multifamily and now the BTR because they kind of go hand in hand for us. And so that's kind of what we're looking at now. There's so many ways to make money in real estate. I when I first started, uh, I remember, you know, thinking real estate was single family homes and you just, you know, clean up after the people move out and they then you put in a new renter. And I realized that that that's just such a small sliver. And then as I've gotten to know more about the commercial real estate market, it certainly mimics the real estate market on the residential side of just being infinite ways and opportunities to to make money. And you know, you mentioned triple net. And for those that, that, that are listening today, you know, I always refer back to triple net, which is a, a strategy an investment strategy is to me, one of the coolest things, not because it's the best, but it, it, I would have never in a million years guessed that someone owned the dirt under dollar general. You know, I just thought the dirt and the building always went hand in hand and they were part of the same and they were deeded and titled that way. Like, no one owns the land under my house or any house I've ever owned. And so it seems so crazy, but it just underscores there's so many ways to to, to make money. I, I really love what you said about find a niche. Um, I think so many people want to be so good at every category. And it doesn't mean you can't pivot as the market requires, but just find that niche and really get good at it. But we're, we're going to talk about kind of that niche and we're going to talk a little bit about, you mentioned the BTR and build to rent market. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute or two. But before we, we get into that, we're going to put you guys on the spot with our quirky questions of the day. Now, we normally have one person and one. So I think what I'm going to do today, if this is okay, Maggie, and, and Maggie, our producer, has the envelopes for me to pick from. I think I'm going to just pick two envelopes and, and they'll each get their own envelope. Is that okay? All right. Well, and part of it's curiosity for me in terms of what's in them. So I've got two of three envelopes for our quirky questions of the day. So <laughs> who's up first? Juan, Sharon? I'll let Sharon go first. Oh, Ladies great, first. Great. Oh, what a gentleman. Uh, always a gentleman, Juan. Always. All right. So let's see here. Question number one. What will people be nostalgic for in 500 years? <laughs> oh, my gosh. The fax machine? <laughs> I, I think they're already getting there. I don't know right, if, if yeah, any no, of our kids could even figure that out. I'm thinking about what, what I remember in my past. So today, I don't know. It might be Facebook. Oh, good answer. And and I think for a lot of reasons, I sincerely hope it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if uh, if the same same listener was asking these, because this one also has a, a significant amount of years in it. So I think we're, we're going to go back this time. If you're transported 400 years into the past with no clothes or anything else, how would you prove that you are from the future? Oh, I'd go gambling. Okay. I know it's not my answer, but. No, it is. It, that's my Yeah, no, you got all three. These are all yours, Sharon. Oh, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, depending on how good I am as a history student, I'd have to prove myself in, in, in gambling and knowing what the, you know, outcome's going to be in advance. Do it enough times to buy some clothes. All right. Well, you, you just need to start remembering all the Super Bowl winners, but I like your strategy. It'd be impossible for you to predict the winner every uh, every year. So question number three, what is the most ridiculous fact that you know? Oh. Well, I don't, I don't know that I would think it would be ridiculous, right? If it's something that I know or retain on purpose. We have a 15-year-old that fills us with so much information yeah. sometimes that it's like, don't really think I need to know that. Yeah, there's so much useless information out there. I, I kind of combine useless with ridiculousness. So I don't retain it on purpose. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. 
Do you want to phone a friend? Is that uh, one? <laughs> yeah. My friend sitting next to me here. <laughs> what was the question again? What is the most ridiculous fact you know? Oh, that's a good question, huh? Yeah, you know what? I'll know it tonight at 2 a.m. in the morning when I wake up. That's when I'll well, go. We'll, oh, we'll come back to that at any point in the rest <laughs> of the show. Just pause and say and throw the fact out there, and we'll let and uh, and we'll we'll go back in and and uh, and talk about it. But Juan, I'm going to put you on the hot seat right. here, and we're going to move to your quirky questions of the day. And here we go. Oh man, this is a good one. And and I I'll be honest, I can't wait to see Sharon's reaction to this one. That is, what is your go-to dance move? That would be um the floss. Well, anyone with uh, with kids born in the last five years are very, or, or kids that have been alive and, and dancing uh, ages of the last five years know the floss all too well. I do it just to annoy them. <laughs> Dad, stop. Yeah, my wife, uh, I think she mastered it fairly well. <laughs> I, I'm just way too uncoordinated and I've got long, clumsy arms and I just could never quite get them to go the way they were supposed to. But uh, But we'll save that for another time. All right. What's a pet peeve that you would like to make illegal if you could? <laughs> pet peeve that I would like to make illegal. Oh, gosh. I know a few of those. Oh, a dirty car. Can't stand a dirty car. Oh, man. Well, that, that's concerning for me. I, I, uh, <laughs> I hate, to, hate to admit that I would probably be locked up immediately if it were a dirty car. <laughs> Well, one of the things is the boys have chores, and uh, that's one of their chores is to clean the car, and uh, and so it's it's kind of um, uh, what you what's that called um, motivation for the fifteen year old. It's like if you ever want to drive this, I think I suggest you keep it clean in the interim. <laughs> Good uh, one. Well, I, I've got an eleven year old as my oldest, so how soon can I start having him wash my truck? Is that are we close? Now, yeah, I mean, they've been doing they've been doing chores for years now. Granted, I oversee now the interior they handle. They wipe it down, vacuum it, now this and that, keep it clean, and then the outside I kind of give my hand. But uh, I think now with the fifteen, they can handle it. But sometimes they need a little oversight. So all right, all right. Well, you hear that? Those of you with dirty cars, uh, start training and grooming your kids to keep those things clean for you. Last one, and we're looking for full honesty here. Sharon will certainly tell us if in any way there's there's uh, any suggestion to the contrary. And that is, what is the last movie that made you cry? Oh, my gosh. Um, I know the, the biggest tearjerker for me has been, and again, I was a kid, but it, it's not the last. I can't remember the last one, but um, the one tearjerker was at The Champ. I'm not sure if you ever It was, I mean, I was, I think, was it Robbie Schneider, Ricky Schroeder, one of those two? He was a kid. It's a little kid in that movie. And uh, I remember when his, uh, gosh, I'm almost tearing up now thinking about it. There's a <laughs> scene where his, his father is a, a boxer and he, he needs, and he's dying or he dies. And he's pounding on his daddy, daddy, get up, get up. And uh, I, I, yeah, I'll never forget that. Wow, scene. That sounds like a traumatic movie for you to remember the details. Yeah. I, it, was, <laughs> it was an amazing movie. And, uh, but yeah, that, that uh, pulled my, it wasn't any of the, it's not, not any of the, um, one of those Hallmark movies. <laughs> Sharon's staring out. I'm like, what, really? <laughs> it's just the credits. What's wrong with you? Well, that, that's, you know, I, I, I will say movies, anything with a movie that makes you cry, there's, there are so many different reasons and rationale that gets the tears moving. And so I'm, I think I'm kind of with you Juan. the traditional sappy stuff for me is never gets me to cry. You know, I expect someone's going to, fall in love, someone's going to pass away. And, you know, there's an expectation. But yeah, I think when you get to some of these, especially like movies where kids are involved or, you know, they're, they're looking up to dad, it's, it's hard not to have that hit yeah. you right there in your you heart. Should have asked him what was the last real estate deal that made you cry? <laughs> well, that may be that may lie ahead sharing that uh, we'll these are for. these are our quirky questions we control the next set of questions in the, in the lightning round so i need this on another show <laughs> Just yeah to that. We, we may sneak that one in there today we'll uh 
we'll see. Well, thank you guys for participating. And, and remember, uh, those listening, if you guys do want to submit uh, quirky questions for us to ask our guests, uh, you can do so by emailing Maggie with a Y at newviewtrust.com. But we do those, uh, yeah, to add a little levity and, and also get to know our guests a little bit better. So thank you for, for doing that in joint form. That's the first time. And, and I think we navigated okay through it. So let's shift gears uh, and let's get back to the, the real topic and the real reason that, that the listeners are here. Uh, and that is to kind of talk about this build to rent um, strategy. Now, it's interesting because we think of build to rent and, and we think of houses as being really a single family play yet here we are with all this discussion earlier about moving into commercial. So let's just start with with helping our listeners. How is build to rent in a single family rental unit a commercial real estate deal? And and give us some insight into that. Well, let me give you a little bit of history of what happened. Remember in 08, crash, everything's here. So then you had the Black Rocks. And I mean, you had these big companies just coming in and buying up everything they could get their hands on because they're buying them on 50 you know, these 50 cents on the dollar deal, blah, blah, blah. And so what happened was they're owning all these properties around the country and management is just a nightmare. And so somebody's like, hey, you know what? Why don't we start having communities of houses that we can manage just like we would do any other single family? And so that kind of like brings that into perspective. Like, all right, so this is kind of what started happening. It's like, all right. And again, and I, we understand that because as property managers, we manage properties all through Palm Beach County. And Palm Beach County is not small. <laughs> well, so. and you know what, to add to that as a point, the larger management companies that were hired for these hedge funds that owned properties, all you know, they were subcontracting the smaller property management companies in those regions. And so we we got reached out to for that to bid it. For with one of the companies, we went through it and we did it. I mean, that was it was extremely short-lived because it was horrible. It yeah. was a nightmare of what they wanted you to do, what they expected you to do, and for the cost that they expected you to do it at. And the just to walk into some of these places where you took over management from someone else who they were using, it was the worst jobs. It was it, it, it was horrible, the Band-Aids that were all over these places, and that this was the level of expectation even that was acceptable. Because, you know, with a $300 budget to paint the whole inside of a house or something, I'm being, I'm exaggerating, but that's what it felt like. This is how they were being run. So, yeah, so that, uh, you know, so again, that's kind of like the catalyst that brought there is like, oh man, this is a nightmare. I mean, because we thought these guys were never going to survive if this is the kind of work that they're doing. But needless to say, they had deep pockets and, and could afford it. So then they got the idea, hey, let's, let's build communities and start building up and then make it a commercial opportunity. And again, you know, in the commercial is it's all about the numbers because you can get a four unit apartment building, but it's not considered commercial. It's still residential. Anything from five units and above is now considered commercial in the banking side of it. So, so now, hey, let's go back to how do you make single family homes commercial prog- um, opportunity? Well, let's own mon- a ton of them. And so that's kind of like what you do. But now the whole build the rent is bam, let's get one area, you know, like you would build a community of homes, instead of selling them, you rent them. And then again, depending on the market type, also depends on the type of amenities you're going to have. Again, same thing on the, on the, the, on the residential side, depending on the market side, it's going to mitigate what amenities you have available to them. So that's kind of like, Hey, that's what's happening. And, And I tell you what, from our experience, I mean, we have 20 plus years of experience in the management side, managing properties across an entire county. We understand the pain, but we also understand how to manage that. And so when we, when I started learning about this build the rent, and when I went out, I was flown out by a couple of guys. One was in Dallas, Fort Worth, and the other one in, in Louisiana. I was like, whoa, this is amazing. What does this opportunity hold? So I just, I got really excited about it. And I said, you know, I know we had been focused on multifamily, but I said, we need to add this into our portfolio and let's start looking at this and, 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 you know, and we can go into a little bit deeper why, how that all works. But I just fell in love with this and this is great. And coming from our property management experience is like, hey, these guys have even asked me, hey, we want you to hire the property manager. (laughs) It's like, okay. So I've been interviewing property managers for these communities to kind of, help them choose a good property management company. 
But this is the first concept kind of to, to answer a question you asked previously. You know, we spent a year just diving into the commercial education. You know, I don't think you can rest on laurels of something that, you know, even if you are really good at it, because this is a different animal. You underwrite it completely differently. And it, in residential, if you were to sell me, like you said, a four unit building, I would be looking at what I'm paying per door. And when you go into commercial, you cannot underwrite it that way. It's completely different. You would never buy anything. And so for me, that was the biggest learning curve on the underwriting. But when, as we started also, you know, we were really hot on self-storage and we were really looking at those and learning that model. And, you know, we're also really hot on the, the multi-units and looking at hundred units plus and the benefits of that. And so it almost feels like it flowed in a perfect order of what we were looking at. And then when he was flown out to see the build to rent, and we really wrapped our heads around that, it kind of answered all these red flags we had as investors or even putting ourselves in the mindset of a tenant, of a resident, right? So now the resident has an opportunity because they can't buy in this market, let's say, right? Because of interest rates or their own situation or whatever, but they don't want to live in a hundred unit apartment and listen to their neighbors and raise their kids in a, in a shoebox or whatever that the mindset is that they have, right? And the parking nightmare and the, all the different problems that you have in, in those compact buildings. This really solves that problem, if you will, right? Living in a single family home, gated community, I've got amenities, I can put my dog in the backyard, I can have a barbecue. You know, there's there was so many pros to it for the resident. And then that just makes it more advantageous for the investors, the develop, you know, the builder, everybody who gets in on the other side to invest in that. Yeah, build to rent is is quite an interesting concept and and phenomenon. I mean, it's amazing that this hasn't really existed in grand scale until more recently because it seems so logical. I mean, why would we want people renting homes? Because just because you rent doesn't mean that that you're broke. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. You have bad credit, or you, it doesn't mean any of those things. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of people that prefer to rent. They don't want to use their money and own a home. They don't want the responsibilities, and so. You know, the challenge is finding rental homes in communities where you're the only person renting and you have transient people that that come and go, which renters are certainly more transient than homeowners. What better place to do that than in a community all to themselves? It's incredible that we just haven't seen much of this. And, and I'm excited for that, 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 you know, not just concept, but excited to see it really come out and, and be played out into fruition over the next few years. Yeah, so are we. I mean, and from a, a tenant's point of view rental houses are not the best looking houses. They're band-aided together, if you will, like we were talking about. Uh, you know, the owners aren't spending a lot of money and time on the renovation between tenants. And I don't think they have a lot of good choices. So to be able to come into a gated community with amenities and move into a brand new home, brand new appliances, brand new everything, I think that's a huge benefit for the renter. And there are so many, like where we're at, one of the reasons we're excited to be where we're at is there is so many, like, companies coming here and bringing in tons of employees that, you know, don't necessarily move to the area and buy a home. They want to find out where are the schools and where is this and where do I want to live? Let me, the safe journey is to rent first, right? Or how long am I going to be in this area? Am I going to stay with the company here? Or are they going to move me somewhere else? And so you've got, like, you're talking about the transition, but it's a planned transition. Like, let's see what's going to happen here. So I think there's a, there's a lot of reasons that make it a really good investment for you know everyone involved yeah the other clientele that you have as far as for the tenants are the are the boomers they're retiring you know what i don't want to take care of the house anymore all i want to do is change the light bulb <laughs> and so again they'll want to go into a building they'd rather go into a community and so that's kind of like that's what we're seeing on these projects the type of people that are coming here and so yeah, that's that's what uh, we really like about this uh, opportunity. So uh, it's definitely working its way out. And I think I think the pandemic might have helped a little bit too. People got a bit nervous living right next door to somebody else. Here they hey, here they have their own space. So uh, and they can go outside. So that kind of like okay, heaven forbid this ever happens again. But they got that opportunity. Hey, we can get out. <laughs> we can go somewhere in a backyard. Well, people love, you know, people want to rent houses for a variety of reasons. And the accessibility and affordability of rental houses is so tough. And, you know, when you own a, or when you live in a rental house, you know, you're, you, 
if if it's one rental house in a neighborhood and prices appreciate, you know, the person that owned it says, gosh, maybe I ought to sell this thing. And now who's the new buyer? Are they going to be renter friendly or are they looking to buy their own house? And so you always have this bit of uncertainty and no one moves into an apartment wondering that if they want to re-sign their lease in a year, if it's available to do so. And so, you know, having this community and, and then you factor in from an investment standpoint, scalability, maintenance costs, right? You can hire one lawn care company to mow everybody's yard. I mean, I, I swear if I could solve one problem, it's the fact that we have, we all pay a 30% premium if, you know, those that have someone come mow their grass because we have 20 companies come in to mow 80 houses. You know, if we just said, let's pick the best one, go around who has the nicest house, they would come and cut one day a week and cut everybody's house and save 30%. So, you know, that scalability goes a long way and the build to rent community is doing that. So it's really exciting. Really glad to hear that you guys are are, are not just diving in, but but also creating opportunities for investors and for your your former clients and and prospective clients to really engage in that market. Because I I do think you know regardless of what happens in over the next few years, there's certainly going to be an appetite and opportunity for people to not just want to live in in nice places, but they're willing to pay to live in a home and they're willing to pay a little bit more than to live in an apartment complex. And to be able to do that with all the comforts that are available to someone in a apartment in terms of longevity, as well as all the amenities that can come with living in a community, I think it's it's uh, yeah we haven't even seen uh, where that market could go. Let let's maybe just take a quick break from the content. I've got a couple questions in our lightning round. Then I want to come back and I want to talk about you know kind of cap rates and interest rates and maybe talk about commercial real estate. In the current environment, there's a lot of noise uh, out in the marketplace about a variety of topics. And so we'll, uh, we'll kind of pause that content and we'll come back to it. Before we get back to it, I'm going to hit you guys with the lightning round. And I think I am going to possibly pull one question in. So I, I've got four questions and I've got one for each of you guys. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to get started. These are quick questions. They're not quirky, but they are meant to get to know you guys a little bit better. So here we go. Question number one. And we're going to ask this one. This one is for you, Sharon. Who's the better cook? You or Juan? Oh, that's a good question. We both cook well, but I cook more often. So I would say me. Okay. And I, I we're getting a nod in agreement. And we won't ask if that's true agreement or just because you're cooking dinner tonight and he's excited <laughs> for it. All right, Juan, this one's for you. Who's the more disciplinary when it comes to the boys? That would be me. <laughs> he gets no argument from me there. And I'm going to answer this even more. And Jason, you might agree to this. Over the years, here's a fun fact. Yeah. <laughs> I am actually one of her students from over, uh, what, 22 years ago. <laughs> so wow. that's kind of how we met. But the funny thing is she and... And I've met a lot of people that I would agree that she's intimidating in the business world. She's no holds barred, bam, this is the way it is. But I got to see the softer side of her after we got married. It wasn't until after we got married that I saw that side. And then when we had kids, it's like, oh my gosh, they got her wrapped. <laughs> and, they, and they know it. And it's like they wait for me to leave before they ask a question. Or they, you got to the point now that they ask her right in front of me. Mom, can I? And I'm like, no, mom. And stuff. That's yeah. She's so mom's mom's a softie at home. She is. She is. All right. Sharon, this comes for you. Now, this will be interesting. This is uh, I think a little bit uh, karate kid like, which is a reference back to last week's show. We we had a karate kid reference as well, but this is a little teacher student, and I, I did not mean it to to be this way, but who's the better investor? Is it the teacher or the student? You know, that's a good question. We make a really good team because, you know, my weaknesses are his strengths and vice versa. So I'm more the one, at least in the past, that's found the deal and one created all the spreadsheets to vet the deal. So, I mean, I don't think it's fair to say one over the <clears throat> other because it really is a team effort. I'm more the underwriter. And she's yeah. the deal maker. Or I'll, but I'm, I mean, if you, if you say negotiator, I'm definitely the one that's getting on the phone and putting that deal together. Yeah. She finds a way to make things happen. Like, 
how did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what a good team does. And, and uh, you know, it is it is really cool that you guys can not just work together and, and work together for so long and, and continue to find success e- even as you transition. And I, I think you, you kind of nailed maybe what a lot of that success is attributed to, which is you both have strengths, you both have weaknesses. And for the most part, they're not copy paste. They, they overlap nicely, but you guys can pick up for each other in, in areas of weakness and, and really support each other in areas of strength. So really, really cool to hear that. And I won't suggest uh, when I, you know, met you guys 15, 18 years ago that I could see it, but I will say I knew you guys were a powerhouse couple all the way back then. So good, good to see that in one of my few predictions from then are in fact, right. So I I am going to pull in a fourth question here. This is a wild card, but at math, uh, three to two doesn't work very well, at least not for me in my head. So Juan, I'm going to, I'm going to get your last lightning round question, which is what's the last real estate deal that made you cry? Oh my God. We've got the movie. Now we want the, the real stuff that makes you cry. Actually, it's funny. This was a deal. We call it Spafford. It was on Spafford Avenue in, in uh, West Palm Beach. And it was a deal we bought with some partners. It, was, it actually was our first commercial deal. Um, you ever heard of people buying a boat and their two best, the days, two best days are when they bought it and then when they sold oh, yeah. it? Yeah, because that in between time was nuts. It was, uh, I'll never forget, when we first closed on it, we went to go collect rent because it was um, it was like a... It was run under a hotel license. Like, it was 42 units. 42 units. So we had to collect cash. So at Friday night. So we're out there in the street collecting cash. And the first night I had to run a hooker off the property. And my wife is saying, I cannot believe I've seen my husband chase a hooker. <laughs> so the next day, one of the tenants died, was dead in, in his unit. And it just gets better from there. And then we're watching cops one night and there's our building. Yeah featured on cops. So yeah, <laughs> we'll just stop there, but yeah, grab the tissue for yeah. that for real. So yeah. Oh was, man. Uh, yeah. They it, can't it, all be winners, right? The numbers look great. And then the numbers okay. worked out, but did it pay for the, no. The aspirin. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, man. Yeah, it, was, it was definitely maintenance intensive. Well, I think anyone that's been investing in real estate, you know, for 20 plus years, you just unfortunately have to kiss a few frogs and sometimes you can kiss them all you want and there's still a frog and and you got to get them out of the portfolio. So I'm assuming you no longer have it since neither of you have any gray hair and I can only assume that you've moved on to to less frustrating properties. <laughs> Maybe that's what took us so long to get back into commercial. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let, let's kind of come down the close here and let's maybe talk more current events. You know, we talked a lot about your transition out of single family into to commercial and, and kind of the commercial world and really the new niche, if you will, inside a commercial that we're starting to hear a lot more about is this build to rent. You mentioned, I think, Juan, and, and maybe since you've declared you're the underwriter of the group that, you know, I'll, I'll direct this to you, but when you underwrite residential property, you underwrite it based on what you buy it for. And then you work backwards from there. With real estate and the commercial side, you actually underwrite it against what it earns. And it really doesn't matter what it costs. It's just a byproduct of its revenue. And I think that's the simple math behind a cap rate. So help me, you know, maybe just at a high level and our listeners kind of understand that cap rate mentality, that income first formula, and then maybe just put a bow on that build to rent and why it's under a income first rather than uh, how much does this dwelling cost like it would be if it were just a traditional residential property? Sure, definitely. And again, cap rates are sometimes market specific. You go into Dallas, Miami, you know, you're seeing, and and I'm talking about multifamily and then I'll transition over to to the built around, but you're seeing 2%, 3%. And then, I mean, (laughs) It's like, how much more can we contract? You know, some people are like uh, willing to go to 1%. It's like, all right, what are you guys doing? It's like, how can you make money on something like that? But again, looking forward to, hey, this is, and we've seen this before. Where, hey, this is going to last forever and it's going to appreciate. And again, what do you, on the commercial side, what are you trying to do is increase value. That's what you want to do. It's like, all right, how can I improve my cap rate? And so you want to improve the, the, um, the value of the property. And so raising rents or decrease in expenses those are your big two big thing items in and on the commercial side it's like that's how you create the value that then gives you more you know gives you an improved cap rate makes you more money 
And so it's one of those things I was saying is don't wait to get into real estate and get into real estate and wait. And I think that's a great analogy here in on the commercial side, especially because there's two things that commercial real estate people look at, especially for the investors. When we talk to them, it's like, what are you looking to do? Is it cash flow or wealth creation? And so and, and again, I think going to the one percent cap rates and the two percent caps, I think that was more wealth preservation. It's like I just want my money to just just hover there and, and do OK. In reality, what you want to do is like cash flow or wealth creation. Sometimes you can get a little bit of both. And again, it all depends on your mindset, And which is the beautiful thing about. And again, Sharon and I have had experience with IRA investors for so many years and we've helped them make a lot of money. And the beautiful thing is they're in for the long game. And so for them, it's, hey, I'll hold because I just want it to grow. And then especially the way you guys put it all together, it makes, I mean, we've enjoyed being able to work with you guys over the years. So it's been a blessing. So we like that. Yeah. So one of the things that we're looking at, um, you know, with the whole wealth creation and on, on the built to rent side of it is, hey, let's get the property right now. The big guys, they're, they're going to be mainly in your primary markets and they're slipping into the secondary. So we're in the secondary and tertiary markets. So like for us, we're 45 minutes outside of Charlotte. So we're seeing the growth in these cities that are outside you know, the, the, the radius of Charlotte, it's been amazing. I mean, just, just down the street from us, Macy is putting, is building their largest distribution warehouse in the country. And that's creating 1200 jobs and driving around here is like, where are they going to house these guys? <laughs> so, cause we're seeing that the opportunities are here. And so right now we're actually with our, our partners out of, uh, of these other projects. Hey, Find some land there. So we're we're trying to right now we're looking for land that we can buy. So and again, so what do you want to do to keep that price down? I mean, is it's get an inexpensive property, which we're finding in these secondary and tertiary markets. Okay, same thing with the projects we've got in Lafayette. One of them just closed, you know, we're not taking any more money there, but we still got a couple others. And those are great deals that we got. And the communities, the mayors, you know, these people love this type of development. OK, because it's not a big building, you know, stick a whole bunch of people. It's a community. And so they're loving it. And so the you know, the whole process, you know, and on the commercial side, you'll see hey, zoning change. You got that big thing and it's going to be a while before, you know, that ever happens. But in some of these smaller markets, it's happening so much faster. And they're appreciative. They love it. They're they're just, hey, how can we help you? <laughs> and so it's kind of exciting to see that. And so. Bam, we're getting properties at a lower cost, land at a much lower cost. And some of the things we do to create the value just before we even close is make sure that, hey, is it, do we have to do a lot of tree trimming? Do we have to knock down a ton of trees? You know, the topography, how's that? You know, are we going to have to build houses at an angle or is it going to be level and flat? Obviously, we have some of that, but you take the good and the bad, but you try to minimize the bad. And so that's kind of like what we do is like, all right, so. Here we're building value just in looking at the property and how it looks and how well we get it developed. The other thing that we're seeing is like most of these areas have been septic, well and septic, right? Well, now that the growth is starting to happen, you're seeing that sewage is being put into the city. So now it's just a minimal cost for you to come in. Hey, we're going to run sewage, a lot less uh, hassle. Because yeah, And, you know, dealing with the septic tanks, you've got to deal with the EPA. And so you got to wait for them to give you, hey, you can do this, you can do this. And we had that. It was funny because when we were doing some residential properties up here, we had that. We had some land and say, hey, you know what? We, we can put some big thing here are mobile homes. So, hey, we can put some mobile homes here, but you still have to have the, the septic. And so we had to deal with EPA and that whole delay and waiting for them to, well, this is what you can do. Um, so, again, we're creating that value. We're creating a much better cap rate for the investor just coming in. So right off the bat, that's kind of the helps create that value. And that's the big thing in commercial is if you can create that value, that's where the money's made. And you'll hear that a lot, especially with multifamily properties. We're selling this as a value add. It's like, okay, so what's the potential? You know, you got some minor repairs that need to be made and then opportunity to increase rents because the rents are way below market. And so that kind of that kind of stuff helps. And so that's kind of the thing that we look at. How can we create value immediately on the land, which is unheard of in most places? It's like, you know, I kind of you have to wait till you go horizontal 
before you start. But here we're trying to create the value before we even go vertical. So I'm sorry, we got that backwards. <laughs> before you go vertical. Well, and that value, um, you know, in so turn gives you a better valuation on the property, right? I mean, that's the one beauty of commercial real estate is that we're not trying to, you know, build a home and determine what does it cost to build and, and how much can we sell it for more than it costs to build. I mean, that's residential development. You know, this is really how much is someone willing to pay to rent this place and how much does that make this property worth? And now how much are we willing to spend to build it to get the value cap that the cap rate would suggest that that rental proceed would be worth. So it's really interesting. I mean, I, I've seen a, a good amount of commercial real estate and dabbled enough in it to, to just not quite get there, but understand enough to, to really think that the math side of it uh, is so opportunistic. There's just so little to, you can do in a residential to affect huge value increases. You kind of have to look around at the market and let the market do it for you. Yet in commercial real estate, I mean, you could you could give a 30, 40% boost to a property value. I won't suggest overnight. That sounds like it's too, too easy. But in reality, you could um, just by raising rents in 50 units, 100 bucks, you can have a monumental increase in the overall value of that property. Definitely. Definitely. And so, yeah, that's the, the, the beauty with the build the rent side of it is that, and then kind of the, the mitigate, I mean, we're not taking any money. The, the guys we're working with are well-funded, well-oiled. And so what happens is we come in and before we even put it out on the market, we've already done the due diligence. We've had the property under, under an option contract. And so we're going to the city, we're going to the municipalities, whatever it needs to get overcome is overcome. By the time we put it out to the market for investors, whether it be a 506C or 506B, all that, all the risk, all the approvals are done. Yeah, all that stuff is done. And so there's no risk. It's like, okay, I mean, granted, there's always risk, but we've mitigated the majority of the risk because, hey, we took care of the municipality. We took care of all this stuff. And it's like, uh, one of them, we had to wait for elections to happen before we got the right guy in to help us. <laughs> so, it, you know, it, sometimes it gets political, but that's kind of the, the way I love the, the guys that we're working with. They understand that it's like, all right, we know what we need to traverse here to make this happen. And so that's that's the exciting part for us is, is, is also being part of the right team. And again, for your listeners, you know, that are thinking about it, it is a great way to it is a great hands off. And you, know, you want to make sure that you're dealing with the right team people that understand what they're into. And, uh, well, especially in commercial real estate, when you get into development as well, that's a whole nother set of hurdles and obstacles that have to be overcome to get a deal to the finish line. And um, so, you know, every investment strategy in niche, commercial or residential, you know, they have, I like to break them down into speed bumps, roadblocks and landmines, right? And you can get over speed bumps, you can kind of get through roadblocks, but it's the landmines that cause the most pain and harm in a deal. And, and so in commercial there can be big landmines, you know, they're bigger deals, bigger price tags. And so let's kind of come down the home stretch here and, and help our listeners. We're right in uh, Q2, beginning part of Q2. And so there's still a lot of noise about interest rates and, and whether or not they're going to continue to go up. We've seen some challenges in the financial sector. We've seen some challenges as companies are starting to report earnings for Q1. What is your, I won't even say prediction, but just from an investment strategy or thesis, what are you seeing in from an interest rate standpoint? And then how does that impact the build to rent market any differently than it may impact, say, a, a an office building or any other traditional commercial real estate debt? Yeah, no, definitely very, very important. I mean, the, this past year has just been mind blowing. It's like, wow. I mean, because again, you go into a property, you underwrite it. And when you underwrite, you underwrite at a certain interest rate. And again, some of these guys are coming in, you, you start off with maybe a mezzanine loan or uh, something like that. And then you get out of that because that's it's a higher rate and you want to get out of that. And then you got to get probably agency debt, which is probably Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. And so with that, that's become harder, the agency side of it. And what we're seeing is a lot of guys jumped in. I mean, it was crazy. There was so much money, just hey, people are just overpaying, just paying so much money for these properties. And so we had there was a deal we were trying to do actually in, in Dallas Fort Worth, where the guys, a couple of guys out in New York bought this property, ran out of money to finish all the repairs. They're still getting rents, but now they're under uh, their initial financing and they've got to get out of it. And they're still wanting to get this much, like, hey, you're gonna get this much, you know, <laughs> because the numbers just don't work anymore. And it's, it's kind of those things that you have to mitigate now. 
moving forward. Hey, now history tells us that after a bunch of rate hikes, you start seeing rate decreases. So a lot of guys were expecting that by now. We haven't seen it. I mean, we just had the last increase with the quarter point. So it wasn't as heavy, but it still it makes an impact, especially on these bigger deals. $100,000 home versus a $10 million property. Quarter point is a big deal. And it's like, ouch, you know, we've, we've seen guys that they've seen their mortgage payment go up $50,000 monthly. I was like, whoa, you know, that just blows any profit. So what are we doing here? So how do we mitigate that? Again, going into getting the right property, making sure it's, it's at a great, as low as possible. One of the big things that uh, our guys that they've been teaching me is kind of the yield on cost. So, all right, what's that all about? It's like, well, you, you take your net income over your total cost of construction. Now, the beautiful thing about this is that, okay, you get into the property, you start building these homes, right? You're not going to build them all, but you know we're averaging, I think, about six to eight pro- houses a month that are going up once we go vertical. Hey, things turn around and you, we have to stop. Boom. All right. So we stopped, the, we stopped the construction, which means, all right, we're not paying out anymore, but we're able to rent these houses that are already built. So that's the beauty of it. Worst case scenario, hey, we sell off this, this piece of 10, 15, 20 properties to an investor. Okay. Hey, we get cash back. So that's kind of the, the, the things that we've looked at that we're able to mitigate. So, but again, you're going in here and dealing with a good team like what we have now, these guys have the relationships with the lenders. Now, granted, these lenders have been known to change their minds a day before closing, and we've seen it happen. And so I was like, oh, you know, it's like, it's, it's like kind of like, oh, that was a low blow, you know, the day before closing. And now we got to come up with another million dollars. But again, because of the way the, the, property, the deals are structured, it's sometimes just a, a better deal for the investor. We, and again, what might we expect? And again, but we know what we have and we know our cost. We know how quickly we can get things moving. And again, we've already got the mitigating risk out of the way, which was you know the approvals, the zone changes, all that stuff. That's done. And it's just a matter now, hey, let's build the infrastructure. And again, creating the value, Just if you just build the infrastructure, bam, you've already raised the value of that property. You can sell that just the way it is. Sometimes you can just sell it with the plans. You might not even have had to have started it. So that's the beauty of the commercial side. And we know and we understand that. And so that's kind of like what you want to do. So moving ahead, you do your best to, to get into the financing up, up front. And you know you're going to have to refinance out of it. You keep those relationships with those lenders. And again, coming out of that. Um, and you're watching your value, you're watching your numbers. And so we understand. And again, knowing the market, that's one of the things that we learned early on on the commercial side. It's not location, location, location. For us, it's jobs, jobs, jobs. Are there jobs? Are there folks that are going to be filling, you know, needing housing? And so, like I'm telling you, just like we're seeing here, we're seeing so much here in North Carolina, so much industry coming in here. You've got EV plants coming, like I said, Macy's, several car plants within our area, I was like, my gosh, you know, there's just opportunity galore. But when you have that, you kind of mitigate the risk of, or even dealing with the interest rates. Yeah, you know that they're there, you, you, you plan for it. And we have the spread there. Like I was saying, the yield on costs, let's just say we have, we come up with like a 7% yield and I'll give you a quick example. And again, this is something that they taught me. So you got a net income of 1.4 million, total cost is 20 million, right? You're looking at a 7% yield on cost. And that's kind of like what our numbers look like, have uh, historically looked like with all these properties. But the cap rate, you know, is 5%. So you built already 200 basis points in there. So you take a shot, quarter point, okay, I still got 175 <laughs> to play with. So that's kind of the way we've kind of mitigated that whole thing with the interest rates going up. And so, again, we believe we'll see them come back down. They can't keep going up. Uh, like we always heard, everything that goes up has to come down. And so we believe that. And again, you look at historically, we've been at where I think we're crossing that that threshold where they should be coming back down. We haven't done that, but I think we might be seeing that in the near future. But again, it's just a educated guess. <laughs> so uh, well, that's the best and, I, can uh, do right I, now. I usually uh, would ask if you had a crystal ball. You know what would it tell you? But I think if we all had crystal balls, we'd probably to be we'd all be a little too scared to actually look into them sometimes. So, you know, the market uh, <laughs> yeah. environmental market is always something to watch, especially in the investment world. And 
um, you know, something that's very unique about commercial real estate because of its scale, especially the build to rent, you know, and your ability to build in pieces. And, you know, you can't build part of an apartment complex, right? And, and wait because the market conditions aren't great. I mean, you're all in or all out. Single family home, you're all in or you're all out. But being able to combine those two kind of ideas or ideologies and, and really put them next to each other, you know, just another kind of feather in the cap for, for why that build to rent model, it has legs. And, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll kind of see what, uh, you know, the, the coming months and years uh, hold for it. But I don't think we're done seeing uh, build to rent in terms of what it'll be. I think it'll be something that, that continues to grow and expand. All right, last question of the day. I'm going to give you guys each a chance to answer this. This is the learn before you burn. This is something that is near and dear to me. I always want to get the experience and the lesson separately. And if I can get the experience and lesson, you know, but you're the one that touched the stove for me, I like it even more. So uh, what's a, a, a stove touching moment in your life that you'd share with the audience uh, today of, Think about this before you do why, because the the pain and the lesson are going to be uh, more than you want to bear. So help our our listeners learn before they burn. What do you got, Juan? Uh, vetting. I think that's the big thing is your success comes from relationships. Build solid relationships. Get to know the people you you do. I think in this in this environment, I think with social media, everybody wants to, hey, yeah, how many friends do you have? How many people, how many followers do you have? It's like, you know what? It comes back down to that core people that you know, and so get to know the people that you want to work with and build, a, you know, build a relationship with, and I think that'll carry on further because there's so many people that have so many great. And, and one big lesson we learned because of running the, the RIA for so many years, everybody had an opportunity, and so one of the things that we started insisting on is like, all right, bring me the plan, bring me, bring me your business plan, whatever it is. How are you going to make this work? That kind of cut down almost 95% of the people that came to us because, again, because of who we were, we, we had that platform. They thought, hey, you guys will do this. No, we want to know what you are going to do. Because a lot of times when we got into something with somebody, it was us doing all the work. It's like, wait a minute. It's not supposed to work out this way. <laughs> so that's kind of like, hey, build those relationships, get to know the people, vet people that you're, that you're looking to work with and want to move forward with. And I think that's a big thing that'll help you in any business, uh, whether it be uh, real estate or not. Cool. Thank you, Juan. Sharon, what you got? Learn before you burn. Well, when I started, I was suddenly single because I had married my high school sweetheart and widowed about nine years later. And so I basically jumped into real estate investing following his dream and it turned out to be my passion. But I was so afraid of getting hurt. I felt so vulnerable that I didn't let anybody into my life. I was the team and there's no I in team. So my mistakes were because I relied on myself and I, I thought I could learn it all. So, you know, I went and got every license you could possibly get. You know, at the end of the day, all, all I needed was my driver's license and I needed to bring key team people in, you know, but I was reluctant to trust anybody. So the vetting part that one talks about is very important, but it's building the right team, right? It ultimately leads to that. And when I was able to trust a team to do their expertise, bring their expertise, well, that's when things really started catapulting, you know, success started coming sooner in the goals that you made. And so in the, you know, education, real estate education business, just like you are, and in what we've learned over the years is we can buy a year or five years, right? By joining with the right team, coming into the right group of people, hooking up with the right team of, of who, who's doing what you want to do and how can you come alongside them and be a part of it, even if you have to pay to be in the group. Because I just bought all their years of experience and I'm coming into a unified goal and we're all going to get there faster because of it. And so that was something that took me a long time to learn that I probably could be where I wanted to be, you know, much, much, much sooner in life. So she's got a really bad scar in her hand. She didn't <laughs> take her hand off immediately. Yeah, I left my hand <laughs> on the stove long, too long. Uh, well, we we all do it, and and I think some very good and prudent advice. And what I'm hearing really from from both of you is that the team matters, and 
you know, it's not just the the team, it's the relationship, it's the experience they bring to the table, it's the vetting to validate they can actually do and say what they say they're going to do. And so I think that that certainly is critical. Any Anyone that I've seen in the real estate community that's had great success, that they've had great mentors, great programs, great groups, great relationships. So it matters. So thank you for that. And and hopefully to our listeners, they they can take that and maybe let go of the vine a little bit sooner and maybe not try to be that one trick pony and and trust the process, but trust, but verify uh, as Ronald Reagan would say. So wonderful. Well, Juan, Sharon, so good catching up with you guys. I'm so glad uh, to hear of all the great success and and how the transition, uh, not just in, in geography to North Carolina, but also in investment strategy into the commercial real estate and built to rent market is going for you guys. I wish you all the best of luck. And we'll make sure that we put all of your guys' information into the show notes so that anybody that wants to contact you guys directly can, can get that. If, uh, if you are not uh, subscribed, please click the like and share or subscribe button. We'd love to have you as a, a future listener to the All About Alts podcast. And if you do have any ideas or you want to get your quirky questions submitted, be sure to do so at Maggie with a Y at newviewtrust.com. But thank you guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. We hope the information within this podcast has given you the tools that you need to find your way to financial independence. We would love to partner with you on this journey. Text ALTS. That's A-L-T-S to 407-708-1853 to learn more about how to get started today. Don't forget to follow us to make sure you don't miss a second of content and we'll see you next week.